2: Welcome back to, excuse me, may I have some more? We are the Foodcast with an Insatiable Appetite. My name is Brad Kramer and my co-host is Christine Strubel. And uh, here we are, episode four. Um, we survived the Super Bowl buildup, which in the food world is always big. We survived the lead up to commercials and all that whole rigmarole, but my burning question as we sit here recording our first episode in February is did Christine make it through dry January?
3: Well, of course not, because I didn't even try to do dry January because that I, I, I don't believe in new year's resolutions. I don't believe in having a specific mantra or idea of limiting yourself. I am in my world. Life is about balance. Some days you have two glasses of wine. Some days you have none, and that's okay. But saying absolutely no it just wasn't going to work for me, especially when the Packers didn't make it the Super Bowl. You know how sad <laughs> it was in my house that, that we had to see Tom Brady and Tampa Bay go and raise the Lombardi Trophy? It was not a good day, not a good day on Sunday.
2: So you turn to the bottle for that disappointment as opposed to just uh, gorge yourself on cheese curds?
3: Uh, no, I, well, we did have some lovely Wisconsin cheese uh, served at our Super Bowl watching party um, just as a nod to the great state of Wisconsin. But, um, you know, at, at a certain point after the weekend performed the Pepsi halftime show and it looked like the game was going to just kind of run away with things. It was best to maybe put on a Hallmark movie, try something else okay? because we all knew the outcome okay don't get me wrong it was great to see the Bucks win um nice her. to see Brock at Walt Disney World with uh, Mickey and Minnie celebrating but uh it would have been nicer if it was Aaron Rodgers
2: um you are talking to a bronze fan whose team was robbed and should have beat the Chiefs three weeks ago so let like, this isn't all about you know the exalted Aaron Rodgers and the, and the Green Bay Packers you know
3: well, then you were in the same spot as me. You may, you didn't really have a dog in the fight. So did did you turn to uh, a delightful spread of food in order to make it be a little better?
2: No, actually, Super Bowl. Oh, excuse me. I said that big game food was not a thing for me this year. Um, I don't know why. Probably because... I knew I had work to do actually on this episode of this podcast. And so I didn't even have the game on for the first half. And then when I had on the second half, it was with the sound off because I was devoted to getting this, this show done. So no, food was not a, a, a big game thing for me this year. So you recently spoke to Olympic gymnast, Sean Johnson East about her partnership with Lego waffles.
3: Did you grow up eating Egos too? And and did you have, do you have any like fond memories of them from your childhood?
4: Oh, yeah. Um, It was actually, my mom actually laughed when she heard that I was working with Eggo because she's like, it's about time. (laughs) Um, I I was a very picky kid when it came to what I ate. And I'm not exaggerating. And Eggo didn't even know this when we started working together. Um, but the only thing I would eat for breakfast was Eggo waffles and I would eat a lot of them. And I did that for 12 years before I ever branched
3: out. And was it just like a plain Eggo straight from the toaster or did you vary it in any way?
4: Oh no, no variation. I was, I was a one trick pony. I did style Eggo waffles with butter and it had to swim in syrup.
3: <laughs> well, and, and when I think about waffles now, it's it's one of those things that uh, it's a food trend that we see that kind of branches even beyond breakfast where you, mm-hmm. you cook them a little less and turn them into a taco or something. Um, do you ever do something like that in your house where y- you play with them a little bit? Oh,
4: absolutely. We've done chicken and waffles, and we actually served chicken and waffles at our wedding. Um, But yes, I think there's a million different ways. I've seen people turn waffles into pizzas and um, like the base of a sandwich or a burger. Or I I think it's just, again, an easy staple or foundation you can use for so many different things, make it savory or sweet. You can even go the dessert route.
3: Well, and who doesn't like, you know, some ice cream on top of a waffle, right? Oh, yeah.
4: With Nutella? Oh, my gosh.
3: So so I know you recently announced that you are pregnant again. Congratulations. Um And, you, you. and you mentioned you had some cravings. Are your cravings for your second pregnancy different from your first?
4: Oh, completely different. I don't know if it's just lifestyle difference or it's just the baby or whatever, but... It's almost like everything I couldn't eat or that sounded gross my first pregnancy, I craved this pregnancy. So I couldn't touch sugar with my first pregnancy because it would make me sick. Now it's, like, all I want. Um, I couldn't do eggs or avocado. Now I love it. It's just, yeah, it's just completely different.
3: Do you think that gives you any inclination of – are you going to find maybe I should ask this way are you going to find out uh if you're having a boy or a girl and if so do you think the cravings make a difference (laughs) so
4: we didn't find out with drew but I do think we're going to find out this time just to do something different and to like have a new experience um but yes it does make me wonder if I'm having a boy instead of a girl just because it's so different but I've also heard that like one it's an old wives tale and two every pregnancy
3: is different. So maybe it's just the pregnancy.
2: I don't know. Hey, I have cravings too, and I'm not even pregnant. Hey, Christine, it's time to introduce a new segment.
3: Okay. What, <laughs> what, what's the new segment, Brad? Uh,
2: I think there's enough ammunition from a topic standpoint for us every episode to introduce a segment called Food Fight. Food fight! So for the inaugural installment of Food Fight, I thought we would uh, hop on the bandwagon that you started in your conversation with Sean Johnson East discussing waffles, which leads to the natural discussion of pancakes or waffles.
3: Well, I'm waiting for the ringing of the, of the fight bell.
2: In the case of pancakes or waffles, uh, are you team pancakes or team waffles?
3: I think that I am team pancake.
2: Perfect. Then we have a food I, fight.
3: That means that you are team waffle.
2: <laughs> I am team waffle. Any day. Now that is not because I dislike pancakes. I love pancakes, but on the uh breakfast pecking order, um I would my my default between the two would would definitely be waffles and also having grown up eating Eggo frozen waffles and I still have some in the fridge. So Sean would be proud of me. Um, But a big fluffy Belgian waffle or the routine, um, basic thin waffle hot off the uh, iron at waffle house for people who have that in their area. Um, uh, My, my choice is always going to be waffles. See,
3: I, my problem with waffles and, and don't get me wrong. I, I, I have been known to grab an Eggo waffle and eat it in the car on my way to driving my children somewhere is that unless it's cooked just right, the texture is wrong. That it's either, you know, you want crunchy, crunchy on the outside and light and fluffy on the inside. And when it's done well, they are great, but if it's done wrong, it it's just sad. And there's no amount of, butter and syrup or whipped cream that can save it. So when it comes to a pancake, you can always change it. So one day if you're craving a really, you know, light and fluffy thick pancake, you can make sure you make it that way and change the batter a little bit and you manipulate it. So it comes out just right. And then other days you make it super, super thin and almost like a crepe, but it's still a pancake and you can, you know, make layer on top of layer and, and, and put butter in between each of them and then the the butter kind of melts and flows into the syrup so then you have buttery syrup or you can even go on a totally different way and do like those big japanese souffle pancakes where they're they they take up almost like an entire plate because they're an inch thick and they're like a dessert yeah those look great
2: i have not had the pleasure
3: yeah I, i mean so the versatility of the pancake and plus how much you can change like the the toppings on it and everything just kind of seems to work. That's why I'm team pancake, even pancake in a cup. I will take a pancake in a cup sometimes over a waffle.
2: Now, to be fair, every single description that you just gave as a reason why you're team pancake could also apply to waffles. True. The the, the-, the versatility, which you discussed with Sean, the, um, you know, Crunch or fluffy, thin or thick, the the using it as a vessel or using it as as the the focus of the meal. So, you sort of supported my argument at the same time.
3: I I th- I think it's half dozen of one, half dozen of another. I mean, it comes down to there may it might be a draw in the food fight this with this topic that when it comes down to it, both of them are a batter. Maybe maybe it is about. Do you have a waffle iron at home and do you know how to use it properly? If you don't, maybe that's why you're team pancake.
2: So should I get on that team pancake t-shirt for you while I'm ordering my team
3: waffles? Yes, please. I, I, but, but please, and, and if you are going to get my pancake t-shirt, um, make sure that it has syrup on top because you know, gotta make sure it has some really good syrup.
2: With, no dry. New, with and does it have to be pearl milling syrup?
3: Um, no, actually, I'm, I, I, I have one syrup that I like, and um, it's probably not one that most people are aware of, but they should be. Uh, I highly recommend Bushwick Kitchen. They are a small company out of New York, and they have a, various types of uh, syrup, and um, it's all farmed f- uh, from local maple producers. But some of their, their syrups are not traditional. So you can get one that is spicy maple, where there's a little bit of heat in the back when you try it. There is a butter maple that tastes like maple syrup and butter together in the syrup itself. So you don't have to put extra butter on it. Or my personal favorite, which will come to a shock for for you, Brad. <laughs> bourbon bourbon flavored. Yes, bourbon. <laughs> flavor. It Not only is it great on on- Was Monday, I right? Yes, it is. It's bourbon maple syrup. Uh, Oh, four episodes
2: and I've got you pegged already.
3: You do. It's amazing on a pancake. More importantly, absolutely delicious in a cocktail. So multi-purpose product. Go look for it.
4: Am I living the dream? I don't know. Did I also just walk past a food truck and buy myself a waffle sundae? Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm going to need two hours worth of waffles. Oh, my God. Look at that. It's waffles. Delicious waffles. Should we try
2: I'm excited to hear your interview with Chef Lamar Moore, the winner of Food Network's Vegas Chef Prize Fight, about meat, meat, and more meat, um, which uh, is only fitting since he's working closely with beef. It's what's for dinner.
3: I think the, the conversation that I had with Chef Lamar, it, it beyond the really good cooking tips that he provided, I mean, anything from how to make a great slider to how to... You know, make sure that you have a well-seasoned, you know, burger or cooking a steak. All of those things are important for a home chef to learn and appreciate and hopefully, you know, continue their own cooking journey.
2: Absolutely. Um, Let's take a listen.
3: Do you have some tips for people that, um, you know, when you're cooking steak or beef at home, sometimes you can't you feel a little trepidatious about cooking. You don't want, you know, you spent a lot of money on a a nice steak. You don't want to ruin it um, and cook it well done. Because I think, I've noticed on your Instagram, you're not a fan of a well done steak. Um, Which neither am I. My husband has ruined many. Um, So could you give a little bit, you know, maybe a a hint for someone uh, to gently say maybe, a, a lovely medium rare to medium steak might be a little more beneficial to get some flavor? Sure,
1: I mean, you know, well one, let's talk about, you know, real quickly about, you know, picking steaks. You know, when I go to um, grocery stores to uh, buy steaks, you know, honestly, I go right to the butcher. I think you made a great point about being in Chicago, especially being in the Midwest, it's a very, you know, high steak town. And your butcher's gonna give you some of what we call the butcher's cut. They're gonna have the best cuts uh, available possible. Um, you know, and, and it's good to to take a picky from them. I personally uh, appreciate a ribeye. It's got a lot of nice marbling on there. Um, when I'm cooking the steaks, I start at high heat, uh, meaning I want to get a good sear on the outside to lock in a lot of that flavor. And I go very simply with a little bit of salt and pepper. Uh, sometimes I'll throw some herbs in there, like rosemary, garlic, just to give a little bit more flavor. I make base with a little bit more butter because I mean who doesn't want more fat in their pan? Um and like you said, I like medium rare. So, you know, if it's a ten ounce cut, that's roughly eight to ten minutes. And one of the biggest things that I think makes steaks that I see is that we don't allow the steak to rest uh long enough. Meaning that after the steak is done, what happens the juice is released back out of the pan and then they'll go right back into the steak. And what it allows is, you know, to maximize a lot of the, the flavor and juice content. And also when you're cooking a your steak too if you want it medium rare you know i tell like my mom my, my mom and i talked about this a lot when you go to restaurants you know the steaks what we call they sit in a window so they 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 the heat the temperature rises a little bit more so if i want you know a steak medium medium well i tell them medium because by the time the steak gets to the table uh the temperature is going to be up you know uh, a few notches but again going back home you know good pan sear heavy duty saute pan works well too um, you know, me personally, I prefer cast iron skillet just because I want to get a really good hard sear on the outside. And I want to get a good crust on the exterior
3: too. If I'm thinking about making sliders and we know that the beef portion is really important. How... Uh, um, important is the bun too, because buns can be controversial with people where you like you know, you used a brioche. some people like the potato bun. Does it come back to all the other flavors in the slider that makes it work or is it you know, a textural thing?
1: Um, you know it can be a textural thing. you know, I like I love brioche because it's a little bit sweet and softer., uh, potato rolls, you know work really, really well too um it depends sometimes i'll put a potato roll and if i make a, a beef slider then i may actually actually use steak like stir steak or new york strip you know and slice it paper thin and put on there so it has a different bite and as i bite into it it pulls very very differently where if i'm using like ground chuck or ground beef the other thing too with with that you know as, as a fun tip at home when you're making or you're mixing ground beef you need to allow that to rest in the cooler too before you cook it. Otherwise, it's going to separate because you're, you're manipulating the fat and fat tissues that are mixed in with, you know, the ground beef or the ground chuck. And you got to allow it to rest so that it molds together well before you try to sear it too. Um, but yeah, I mean, the buns, you know, they matter. Uh, I try to keep them as fresh as possible too. That's the other thing. And, you know, not putting them in the cooler, allow them to be room temperature and then getting a really good sear on there, you know, with butter. I love butter. And so when you, Again, by the end to it, you got you know that nice softness on the outside, and then a good hard sear in the middle. You know, from from searing in the pan, and then you know your steak and whatever minds you put in there.
3: Is it important to kind of have a combination where you um, get you know a theme for some of your for some of your dishes for a big game?
1: Um, you know, for a lot of people that you know are. Those local football fans Absolutely I mean I'll tell you One of the greatest treasures That I appreciate Working in the stadiums So exactly You being a Green Bay Packers fan Obviously I'm a Bears fan So if we had Green Bay visiting We would do A focal point On our menu um, Just uh just to You know Highlight the visiting team And it was great Because I got to learn about You know What that city really eats So obviously Green Bay being so close We know that Green Bay are cheeseheads. So you know <clears throat> We would make like there was one time we actually made a slider. it wasn't beef but we used we made an italian sausage patty with uh cheese that was local from you know uh uh uh, green bay or we made italian beef which is local to chicago and we put cheese curds on there you know if it was seattle you know we would use uh barouge which is a a a berry northwest berry sauce that comes from that area with salmon so um you know when philadelphia would come oh well you know you're making philly cheese and what we did was with that one that was one of the fun ones i had created because we did a battle of the beefs so we had the italian beef from chicago and then we had the philly cheese from chicago and let you know let the guests choose one they want and then you know took a poll and see which one was the highest one ranked you know during that game because it's beef against beef so you know it's, it's really fun to kind of do stuff like that people when you have those you know parties and and especially for the big game a lot of people don't expect that. So when you kind of theme it out, it, you know, it, it, it's fun. And and it gives you a little more creativity when it comes to the recipes, too.
3: I, I was going through your Instagram and you mentioned on one of your posts and, and used this phrase, which I found really kind of um, interesting, that food is like a universal cure that we all sit at the table and eat. And it kind of sounds like that you have this, I, you know, idea or concept that, you know, food can bring everyone together. Could Do you mind, like, commenting a little bit about why you feel the connection between food and people and family is, is so important?
1: Absolutely. You know, food and family is important to me. I know I grew up with it a lot. You know, that's how I started cooking. You know, my grandmother um, would always you know, make us sit down at the kitchen table and, you know, eat as a family all the time. Um, it's part of my roots. It's part of my history. Um, it became part of my pedigree as a chef. You know, we really take pride in what we call family meals. And we have a lot of employees front and back of the house that sometimes don't have enough, you know, to eat at home or to even have anything to eat. You know, when I go back to, you know, working at the football stadium, you know, our staff was a massive of almost 100 to 150 people. And I can tell you 20 to 30% of those staff members didn't have meals. And so it was so important for us to sit at the table and to what we call break bread and enjoy each other's company because we were family. We were there 15, 16 hours a day. And so, you know, I still the same thing of what I grew up at home doing. And my mother gets on my case now. I mean, I've been doing this over 20 years and. I'll go home and visit my mom. She's like, could you sit down and actually eat at the table for once? Because I'm so used to, you know, scarfing food and standing up and my older brothers the same. My older brothers in the military. You know, he's like, When it's child time, as they call it, he's gotta eat in five minutes, it's done. So, you know, we've forgetting the passion of being able to, you know, sit at the table and enjoy the enjoy each other's company. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, with where we sit over the last ten months, you know, that's been more of a focal point now of being at home and being able to eat and cook and and I you know, I went home because I'm in Las Vegas right now and I went home to Chicago, you know, for Thanksgiving. And the one biggest thing I was excited about doing was cooking with my family. And my youngest one of my youngest nephews, you know, taught me that a different lesson that I didn't understand. I walked in the house from the store and he, he wanted to make cookies. And <laughs> I was like, I don't think grandma has all, all all the ingredients. He looked at me and said, Well go back to the store. You know, and I went back to the store and went home and I started cooking with my nephew and my nephew's eight. And so, you know, just engaging in, in, in our younger youth, you know, and kids and, you know, and, and, and showing the importance of how cooking at home and how cooking around family is so important.
3: How important is it to kind of give back to the community, not just necessarily the the restaurant workers themselves, but to, you know, find a way to, feed the soul in a way through food that um kind of can bring everyone together
1: you know it's very important um you know recently i um visited chicago and there's a lady who i found through some outreach programs who has a food pantry and she's been doing it for so many years and i felt it was important to not only donate my time but food and you know, and financials just to be able to help those communities because it's such a, you know, a different struggle. And, you know, the other piece is, especially you know, when you work in restaurants, sometimes we forget that the community is what keeps us busy and what and what keeps our doors open. So being able to give back to the community, being able to have programs, being able to, you know, offer discounts, being able to offer different perspectives in the restaurant, um, The other piece is, to, as a chef, being able to be more on the front forefront. What I mean by that is that, you know, people actually want to know who we are and see our faces. If you look at the restaurants, you know, that are being built now, they're more open. They're more, you know, vocal to the community and and to people so that people know who the face of the food is and and what we're about. It's super important to, you know, be, you know, what I call boots on the ground and understand your community and the people in the community. It's nothing like, it's like something as simple as me, you know, going to Starbucks. So actually I actually go to Jimmy John's. It sounds crazy. I go to Jimmy John's here by my house and I walk in, I just do a pickup. I do order online. They know who I am when I walk in the door. And I think that's about community because I I appreciate eating and serving and pouring back into my community. And as a restauranteur, you know, I expect the same thing of myself and other chefs and restauranteurs to do in the same communities.
2: I did find it interesting in how even when he is with his family, his chef hat is on, not literally, but figuratively. And I know you hate the word literally, and that's a conversation for another day. But anyway, his chef hat is on and he's busy prepping and serving and prepping and serving and prepping and serving. And his mom and family members are like, yeah, sit down, join the table, join the conversation. And, you know, once a chef, always a chef, you're, you're in serve mode and service mode. So I, I, I found that amusing in your conversation with him.
3: Well, I, I think that's something that anyone who maybe who has hosted a party kind of understands. We all have, I, I mean, previously in our household, we used to host parties for, say, 50 to 100 people. And what would happen is as the party host, you're always kind of stuck in the kitchen. And although people say, oh, the party gravitates to the kitchen, there is almost like a, 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 a fake wall where you are so in, immersed into that prep work or making sure that everything is perfect that you hear the conversation and kind of like this just rambling all around you, but you aren't ever really a part of it because you haven't stepped outside of the, the to-do list and put yourself in the moment. So I think his point is very valid that you know, we want to give of ourselves and make great food and see the joy that it brings to everybody else but at the same time there is an importance of putting yourself at the seat at the table so that you will become part of the experience if if people weren't involved in it we'd all have a whole bunch of robots just making conveyor belt food and be happy just like rosie from the jetsons well exactly i mean and but that's not the point i mean the point of really good food it it expresses an emotion it 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 com- it, it goes back to conveying that story. You know, there's a um, Spanish novel called Como Agua para Chocolate, like Water for Chocolate. goes in where, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> where the one lead character in it, she, um, as she cooks, one of the stories is her tears fall into the food as she cooks. And as everyone eats the food, they start crying because they have all these moments where they remember um, times in their lives that were so poignant that um, it brings out all the emotion. Sometimes that happens.
2: Right. Interesting. Yeah, it was a it was a fun interview to listen to. I mean, I I when I watched Vegas Prize Fight, um, he was my favorite contestant, and so I was sort of had rooting interest in him from the beginning. There was just uh, something that just to me made him seem like he was the cream of the crop. He's so Christine, that puts the wraps on episode four of, excuse me, may I have some more? And that leads me to what we can look forward to on episode five, which coincides with this week's announcement that the new season of Top Chef, season 18, will premiere on April 1st on Bravo. I'm really excited because I recently had the chance to spend a good deal of time talking to season 17 champion. Top Chef All-Star Champion, Melissa King. And we will feature that on episode five.
3: I I think Melissa did a great job in the past last season of Top Chef. I mean, her approach in the final episode um, really seemed to capture the judges uh, with her creativity, but still in a way that never lost sight of who she was as a chef.
2: Yep. She definitely stayed true to herself throughout the entire uh, series. And that's going to do it for episode four of, excuse me, may I have some more? My name is Brad Kramer. I hope you'll join me and my co-host Christine Struble next time when we discuss all things Top Chef and we share with you my recent in-depth interview with Top Chef All-Stars champion Melissa King. Take care. Bye-bye.